Hello, everybody. Bradley here. And just at the top of the podcast, I wanted to let you know, yes, I'm aware I didn't do a podcast on chapter two and that I kind of in my head counted the prologue in chapter one as the first two chapters. And then my idiot brain just read chapters three and four and did a podcast about them. I'm aware that that happened and I was going to go back and fix it and read chapter two and do the podcast on it. But then my summer got really busy. I work a summary job where I'm just way busier in the summer than any other time during the year. And then things didn't work out. So now I'm here having not read chapter two having no idea what's in it and you know what at this point i think it's pretty funny if i just never read chapter two and in the lore of this podcast chapter two of this book just does not exist i like chapters three and four though so this is the podcast on those two chapters they were excellent let's run the tape and see how i felt about them before we get started in our deep dive of chapters three and four of The Duke and I, I just wanted to thank Laura, Christy, Aaron, Elizabeth, Karen, Mackenzie, Emma, and Mia for being patrons over on patreon.com slash let's dive deep. They are helping keep this show sustainable. I appreciate it very much. They are also getting early access to all these episodes. If that's something that sounds fun to you, feel free to check the show notes below for all the information. Otherwise, I think it's time to get started. Hello everybody, my name is Bradley and welcome back to another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are continuing our deep dive into the first novel of the Bridgerton series, The Duke and I, and in this episode we will be covering chapters 3 and 4. Specifically in chapter 3, but in both of these chapters, Julia Quinn hops right into the deep end of horny jail, so there will be adult content in this episode, and I'm assuming every episode going forward. We got we got right into it. There was no, I was not expecting by chapter 3 there would be this much uh, adult contentiness happening, but hey, you know what? It's all good. It's Bridgerton. That is what we're here for. And I, I'm not gonna say I, I'm not gonna say I didn't enjoy it. So just letting you know, there will be adult content in this episode of the podcast because there is very much adult content in these chapters of the book. With regard to spoilers, same policy as always, I will be spoiling everything that happened from chapters one through four, because that's how far I've read into the Duke, and I will be focusing on chapters three and four, but I have read chapters one and two to get to this point. And also, part of the fun of this podcast is comparing it to the Netflix adaptation where appropriate, so I will possibly be spoiling any number of things from seasons one and two of the Netflix adaptation of Bridgerton. So if you have not watched the Netflix show and you do not want that to be spoiled, make sure to watch that first then hop back into the podcast. And finally, y'all have been killing it with the Spotify reviews, by the way. I'm not sure about Apple Music because I have to change countries to see all the different reviews for each country. But hey, I'm sure y'all are doing great over there. Please, please, please go and leave those five-star reviews. You know, type a little thing like, yo, this guy's crazy and this podcast is fun or whatever it is you want to say. It really helps get the podcast out to more people. Also, word of mouth is huge. Tell your friend, tell your dog, tell your, oop, I just punched my microphone. Tell your uncle, whatever it is. You know, tell somebody about this podcast. I'm sure they would love to listen listen to it. There is a Patreon you can check out. We talked about that up at the top, but that is in the show notes below. Basically, you get early access to the episodes. I get a couple of bucks a month to keep the podcast sustainable. Uh, ideally, it's a fair trade for all around. We have a Facebook group that you can join to just hang out with some cool people on the internet, so that's pretty fun. There's also a Twitter at Let's Dive Deep and a Gmail at Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com where you should be emailing me all of the thoughts you have about this podcast. I read all of them. They're super good emails, and I appreciate them. I think it's time, though, to dive into chapters three and four of The Duke and I.
All right, chapter three, we're here. We got Burbrook, we got the Duke, we got Horny Jail, we got everything in this chapter. I will say out of these two, I've really enjoyed these two chapters. I, I'm enjoying this book. I'm having a good time. I do not read a lot of romance novels, so it's like a little bit on the nose sometimes. I'm going to say chapter three was the first chapter where I could kind of see the writing wasn't good. It was fine. It was great in some places, awful in others. Still had a lot of fun in chapter three. Chapter four, though, I thought was written excellently. So I'm starting to have that Julia Quinn vibe that people have warned me about where they're like, this isn't Pride and Prejudice, but you'll probably still enjoy it. And that's where I'm at. Uh, chapter three was a little bit too much for me in some areas. However, I had a lot of fun. So here we go. Daphne is at a ball of some kind and, and, and I want to preface something by saying it's much harder to take notes when you're reading as opposed to when you're watching it on TV because the scenes are a little less you know there's not a visual cut that you can make you also don't want to disrupt the flow of the reading right and so you're trying to read and then remember the notes you want to take and then come back and then remember it as it happened but you, it's all in your head so it's a little bit trickier so my understanding of this situation is there's a ball of some kind and Daphne's out and about in the world you know still on the on the marriage market in the social season and Nigel Burbrook comes along to marry Daphne or to propose to Daphne which is interesting we 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 remember him from the show and then fucking Philippa Featherington gets in the way and causes Daphne to trip and then Burbrook can chase her down a hallway or something and then off screen so that happens we kind of watch that happen and then there's this really weird this is where the writing for me was just wild and I didn't really get it it worked for me in the end I suppose um, but like it's that's like a page so we get one page at the beginning of this chapter where it's Daphne at the ball trips over Philippa Burbrook comes up to her and then we skip immediately she sees this like handsome man Right? She describes him as handsome and then just skips in the next paragraph to his perspective and it skips in time too because by the time he arrives on the scene, he was like going to rescue her or something, but then she had already punched Burbrook, which is super sad. I wanted to see or, you know, it's not off screen, it's off page, I suppose. I wanted to be there for the Daphne boxing, you know, Mike Tyson Burbrook in the face. I just wanted to be there for that. And I was a little upset we didn't get that. But here we're like a page in and already Simon and Daphne are together. And while I didn't think the writing was particularly good to get us to this point, how I, I, what I do like about it, what I do like about it is we're not wasting any time. We're not wasting any time. Simon and Daphne are in a hallway together and things are horny and it's chapter three and that's what we're here for. That's why we're reading this book, right? You know what I mean? And so in that sense, the writing is really well done is they're not wasting any time getting us into Daphne and Simon just lusting over each other a whole bunch, right? We're not being eased into it at all. We're just there. Uh, how we got there though is a little bit, a little bit clunky. We get the stereotypical descriptions of attractive people doing things attractively. I suppose a staple for the romance genre, but just a staple for, you know, heroes and heroines in, in every story. Our protagonist, uh, Daphne, describes Simon as handsome. His face is perfection. I put it all caps. His eyes are super fucking blue, man, you know? Those attractive, gorgeous blue eyes. So that's a thing. <laughs> that, that is a thing. And he's got great hair. I remember there's some description about how awesome Simon's hair is. And then Simon to Daphne, you know, he's worried about the hair that's like curling down on her swan 
swan-like neck and all that stuff. And so we get the attractive people doing things attractively part of the chapter where they're describing each other. And look, I'm here for it. I'm here. I I am reading this book for two attractive people to do things attractively, and that is awesome. I enjoyed that very much, and I think it's just good that we're hopping right into this. And we're not wasting any time trying to figure out, you know, does Simon find Daphne attractive? Does Daphne find Simon attractive? There are all these little moments that are really... I would do want to say parts of this chapter are really well written. I just thought the, the, the clunkiness of the perspective change to get to Simon and Daphne in the hallway was kind of poorly done. And some of the monologues about Simon, you know, like wanting to push Daphne up against the wall again problematic we're just skipping over all the problematic stuff unless it's super relevant because we just wouldn't have fun reading these books um so that was all of that was a little bit clunky but there are all these little moments where Daphne is like trying to be mad at him but then he like smiles in a certain way and she can't quite do it because he's just so attractive and I'm not gonna lie those moments got me I understand how fucking dumb it is I understand the book that I'm reading but holy shit I I fell for all of them every single time. And because I, what I get to do in reading these books after the show is I just get to pi picture um, Phoebe Denever and Reggie Jean Page. It's his name, right? It's Reggie Jean, it's Reggie Page for sure. Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. I got it right. I got it right. I just want to get it right. Who are two extraordinarily attractive people. So I just get to believe them in my head and I can just kind of deep dive into it. You know, I've seen that scene with the Taylor Swift wildest dreams cover and all that so i'm just right there with them and i i really enjoyed i enjoyed you know it's tropey it is tropey in these types of books to just have all of the people be very attractive however in this book specifically because i've already watched the show because they've already cast attractive people and i just i have all these people in my head that i can just believe them and i can just have fun with it i don't have to go through the whole motion you know how it is in some books nowadays especially if you read a ton of books how the protagonists are always attractive and it kind of grates on you a little bit not this time baby i loved it this whole chapter is basically them trying to figure out what to do with Burbrook. So Burbrook has come, he's had a lot of whiskey. We, we learn the different things over the whole chapter, but just the situation by the end of the chapter, we know that Burbrook has come, he had a whole lot of whiskey, super fucking drunk. Daphne hardly even knows what being drunk is. <laughs> like she's, she's very innocently like, I've never, I've never seen him consume alcohol so he couldn't be drunk? Question mark? I don't know. That was pretty funny. And they're trying to devise a plan. And this plan keeps changing based on how conscious Burbrook is and what the situation is. And then how, you know, when he wakes up, he tries to, like, throw himself at Daphne again. So Daphne is just like, ah, fuck this guy. We're just going to leave him here. And also they're trying to figure out how much of the plan involves each other because they clearly both want to spend time together, but they can't be in this hallway for too long before someone notices them. And that's a very bad situation. So there's a lot of different um, things at play here. And this part... I I thought was really well written too. I, I fully understood all the motivations. These two attractive people want to just be attractive together. And that's great. Um, also Daphne cannot stay in this situation for too long, either with Burbrook or with Simon. Cause that's just bad for optics and whatever. And she'll have to marry one of them. How terrible is that going to be? Right. And so I also understand that Simon doesn't really want to help Daphne and doesn't really give a fuck, but also Nigel is really annoying him and Daphne's very attractive. And so he's trying to figure that out. 
quote. But also, I quote, thou shalt not lust after thy friend's sister. The original 1813 bro code, the Magna Carta is kicking in here. He's not meant to be lusting after his his friend's sister, and he's trying to cope with that. And Daphne is mad at Burbrook and kind of trying to be mad at Simon. But also, Simon is very attractive and charming and is genuinely trying to help her. And he's just a little more experienced in the real world. And so he gets the upper hand in some of these interactions, especially the one near the end where they're trying to figure out whether Daphne offered to help him or not. Like, I fully understood and felt all of those different things interacting with each other in a way that I thought was believable, which I, I just liked all of it. Through this, though, we do learn quite a bit about the characters. Daphne has a kindness to her and a a real sense of, um, I suppose, just being a decent person. You know, she has no fondness for Burbrook, and she certainly doesn't want to marry him. But she doesn't want to just leave him in this hallway after <laughs> after punching him in the face, which is very funny. Um, she doesn't want to leave him in this hallway. She wants him to be comfortable, and Simon's kind of convinced to help out. And even, and you know, she doesn't know what to say, so Simon comes up with the idea of like, oh, I'm going to go get my carriage. And she's like, oh, good oh good, I didn't really want to leave him here. So she has this innate kindness, but what I what I liked about this is it kind of juxtaposes to Simon, where Simon is our avatar, and we're like, well, fuck this Burbrook guy. And so through Simon, Simon gets to be like, what on earth is wrong with Daphne, right? Like, this guy is a piece of shit. He came up, he's throwing himself all over, proposing, drinking whiskey. What a, what a, what a jerk. What's he doing? Like, why does Daphne get to be kind to this guy? And so... That interaction was really interesting. So we're learning a little bit more about Daphne here, that she is kind-hearted, she is sweet, she genuinely cares for the people around her, even if she has no good reason to, or even if those people are like, you know, not the people she wants to hang out with or marry or whatever. She's not just going to leave someone laying... She ends up doing it for a different reason. But at the beginning, she's not just going to leave someone laying out in the hallway. She does feel a little bit bad. And through Simon, I'm more on Simon's side here. It's like, what the fuck? This guy's a dick. Leave him on the ground. Who gives a shit? Like, let's just go and figure this out. And, like, let's just leave. Like, what are we doing here? I Like, that part, I was more with Simon on. We also learned that Simon is... At least what I learned and I gathered from Simon. Simon is very socially aware. You know, he we learn a little more in the next chapter about him interacting with all the mamas. But he's just quick on his feet. He's quick-witted. You know, Daphne is not a true competitor for him in these kind of social interactions. He is... He is somebody who um, can very much think on his feet in a conversation to get the upper hand, to get the outcome that he wants. He's also somebody who um, very much prizes his self-control. Things are very much... He has a way he wants to present himself, a way he wants to um, act or, or, or actions that he has to control himself not to take in this case, you know what I mean? And that's very much part of who he is. He's, he's somebody who is being thrown a little bit off guard by Daphne because she's sweet and attractive and his friend's sister and that's throwing him off a little bit. And he doesn't really want to help, but he's kind of convinced to do it anyway. So I just, I liked all these little interactions here and I like that we learned 
about Simon and Daphne in a way that wasn't just strictly exposition, just through their actions and their dialogue with each other. Um, we got to learn a little bit about the characters, which I enjoyed. There was a really funny moment as well where the, <laughs> the Duke finds out about Lady Whistledown. And this is how I imagine in like 2022, a grandpa trying to figure out what TikTok is or whatever and having like his great granddaughter explain. He's like, who's a, what's a whistle? What the fuck? Like, what is going on here? And then Daphne's like, well, there's a gossip column you see. And in that gossip column, um, I don't know how to put this. You are a huge rake and that's problematic. And, um, my mom, after reading this has decided that, uh, I'm never to be seen with you out in public because you're a huge rake and that would ruin my reputation. And yeah, so that's Lady Whistledown. And I just enjoy, enjoyed that, that moment of science. Like, what the fuck is Lady Whistledown? What's going on? Oh shit. She's talking some smack about me. That sucks. I don't understand what's going on. And he has these moments like out loud in the next chapter, but in this chapter as well. I can't remember if it's out loud or not where he's trying to be like, hey, some of this is undeserved, okay? Some of this is completely undeserved. I get it. I'm rakish. I've done some rakety things, all right? But like, not that rake. Like, that's crazy. And and you get this sense that Lady Whistledown is a true gossip column. She's not lying. She's not lying, but she's... Maybe exaggerating the truth a little bit or telling the complete truth and just kind of, you know, ascribing some more rakishness to the situation than is deserved. I don't know, but I did enjoy this interaction about them trying to figure out what Lady Whistledown is. Very, very funny. And then, of course, attractive people attractively fighting over... <laughs> This Nigel Burbrook plan is very, very cute. Where should we put him? What should we do with him? You're going to stay in the library. No, I'm not going to stay in the library. No, I'm going to get the carriage. You're going to stay here. That's what's going to happen. Oh, he wakes up and then he throws himself at Daphne. And then he's like, are we still fucking doing this plan? And Daphne's like, nah, dude, we're just going to leave him right here. But then even then Daphne has to make him comfortable and like, you know, make sure he's, you know, comfy on the ground in this hallway, in this mansion or wherever it is they're at. And just... Two attractive people that we know are going to get together arguing attractively is just exactly what I'm here for in this book. And I found this Burbrook situation to be a pretty natural way for it to happen, even if it was a little ham-handed ha how we got there. And even if not everything was written, you know, perfectly, uh, I found this to be a very natural way to bring these two together and to have them, you know, bond a little bit over this plan. The other thing we get established that I'm assuming is going to be a little bit important later just based on the show but may or may not be in the books is just that Simon is an experienced dude. He knows about all the things. He knows about kissing. He knows about swan-like necks. He's looking at collarbones. This is a man who's been around the block a little bit. Now, this is something that I'm sure will come up later, but I'm just registering it now. It's one of the things we learned about Simon. We don't actually learn that Daphne in this chapter is completely inexperienced, but in chapter four, we get a little bit of like, oh yeah, Daphne is definitely, you know, she is attractive and she's almost 20 and she's a little bit older and she's very kind. Hey everybody, editing Bradley here. Sorry for interrupting you mid-podcast, but upcoming here, my computer decided to play one of my Bridgerton audio clips in the system 
sound thing for whatever reason. I could not hear it when I was recording the podcast, but it's there and I can't take it out. It is not on a separate track. I have no idea what happened. So for like 10 seconds upcoming, I will be talking over a random bit of Bridgerton music because my computer decided to include it. And you know what? Instead of re-recording everything, I'm just going to go with it. Life is fun. Life's all about going with the flow. You know what I mean? This is a fun, silly podcast anyway. So just a fair warning. I'm about to be talking over some Bridgerton music. It is intentional. I have no idea what happened, but you know what? We're going to go with the flow. But she's definitely still a maiden, and it's interesting. And in that way, you know, that she's a little more inexperienced, and we have this power imbalance going on in this relationship. And we'll see how it plays out in the show, because power imbalances in relationships are, are tricky and weird and hard to navigate. And so we'll see. And is, is it even a power imbalance, right? Like, in real life, people have different levels. You know, there's all there's the... There's the um, kind of built-in inherent power imbalance of just the whole situation of the market, the marriage market and the social season and everything. And, but is, is sexual in, I don't want to say prowess as if everyone who's had sex lots is good at it or, or, you know, everyone needs different things. You know, you had a girlfriend or a boyfriend or just a, you a significant other. You know, let's you go with significant other, a partner rather. Let's include everyone. You have a partner and you're you're together for a couple of years and you, you learn a certain way of doing things and then you break up but you you move on to the next partner and they need something a little different they got different things that they need you know what i mean so does that does the um does your i don't how the fuck do you like what what the fuck am i doing can we pause for a second what the fuck am i doing on this podcast like what even is this um does knowing just the knowledge. We'll call it the knowledge. You know, I'm sure Simon is very good at it, but let's, I'm sure we're about to find that out. But does the knowledge of it is, does the knowledge and the experience in the sex create a power imbalance in these relationships? I think that's an interesting thing for us to track as we go forward because it's explicitly denied to the women in this world. I think it does. I think it's explicitly denied for a reason so that they don't ask any questions and they just have kids. You know what I mean? Like, I think it does create a power imbalance, but interesting, interesting for, for us to, to, to kind of pin and take a look at going forward. Chapter four. Now, chapter four, I think is wonderful. This is a wonderful chapter. I enjoyed it so, 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 so much. I liked chapter three, but chapter four is really out of these two chapters where the writing is just better and things just, you know, they just hit a little harder and I'm more kind of into it. Uh, the first thing I wanted to say is going into this book, I was not expecting so much of this book so far, and maybe it switches back and forth, to be from Simon's perspective. I thought it would be from Daphne's perspective. It is called Bridgerton. I'm aware that it's about Daphne Bridgerton. I've watched the show, which is very much more of an equal perspective kind of thing, because it's a little more difficult to have a perspective in a TV show about two people, you know what I mean? But so far, we're kind of mostly in Simon's perspective and kind of watching him navigate this ball and you know we run into anthony we run into daphne we run into lady danbury and the featheringtons but simon is the one running into them for us it's not daphne so just very interesting going in i was not expecting it i'm not saying i didn't like it i think i liked it very much but it was just uh you know when you're reading something and you have this expectation and then it's not met you just have to pause for a second and i paused for a second enjoyed it but simon's perspective is interesting here it's also an interesting choice to take us through this journey from Simon's perspective and not Daphne's so far. Um, I'm sure Daphne's perspective would have been a little bit more boring 
in this chapter, just wheeling, dealing, and talking to different dudes for 10 minutes. Um, but it's, it's just an interesting choice to be in Simon's head and not Daphne's because the book is called Bridgerton. One of the first things that happens in this chapter is it does a very effective job of just making us feel a little bit bad for Simon, as much as you can feel bad for these super rich fucking people in this world, you know what I mean? Like, I do not actually feel bad for all of the rich men in this world at all, zero. However, what I will feel bad for is just the, the paparazzi style of mamas. The Duke is here. He's clearly not interested in marrying any of these people. He's just here to, like, say hi to Lady Danbury and skirt, skirt, get out of there. You know what I mean? And all of these fucking moms and their daughters and everyone are just annoying him and you know i very much detest and i assume most of the people listening to this podcast very much detest the modern kind of paparazzi culture of celebrity you know what i mean where you know being a famous singer being an actor or an actress being just someone of notoriety just means that you cannot have um fucking privacy uh there's a few people that i think are more exempt from this than others like politicians you know people who are like the royal family i think uh, i'm a little less sympathetic to to um having to you know what i mean like if you're like if you decide to like run for public office or like be in a public position right and then you're kind of upset that people are confronting you kind of in that life like i i get it and i'm still not sure how i feel about it but i'm a little less forgiving of that just because you kind of chose that you know what i mean uh in a sense you kind of like hey i'm a private person i'm gonna go be a public person right and so in this sense though and in lots of senses in, in 2022 in the modern world with um, people who are just good at a thing that we all enjoy you're a sports player you're you're in a tv show you're in a movie you're a singer you're whatever you're you're a scientist bill nye the science guy or whatever right you know what i mean like you there's all these people of, of huge notoriety that just can't go out just can't be a person in a world without bodyguards and security and motorcades and fucking it's crazy it is absolutely crazy you know what i mean like just imagine just imagine if taylor swift walked into your local bookstore you're at the bookstore and taylor swift walks in unaccompanied just her she just wanted to buy a book she's she's nearby she's nearby and she's like i want to read and she walks into your local bookstore to buy a book she is getting fucking hounded by every single person in that bookstore. She cannot do that. It is impossible for her to just go out to a bookstore. And even when they do just go out, right, there's like glasses and beanies and like makeup and they're trying to very obviously not be themselves. And I just resent that so much that to, to do a thing that the public enjoys and to, to have that notoriety inherently means you have to trade your privacy for that. I hate that. And the Duke situation here is not the same thing. But what I did feel was just I felt really bad for him in this moment because he's not fucking interested and he doesn't care. And he's just here to say, you know what I mean? And yet all of these fucking people are just hounding him. And it just gave me these like kind of just like triggered my hatred of like modern paparazzi a little bit. And so I was feeling a little bit bad for Simon here.
What I did think was very, very funny, though, the Anthony in the books is so much better than the Anthony in this in season one. Sorry, season one, Anthony in the show is so much worse so far than season one, Anthony in the books. This fucking guy is having the best time he's doing exactly what I would be doing. He's just like leaning against the wall across the ballroom, you know, lifting his drink towards Simon, acknowledging the fucking problem that Simon is in, but just kind of laughing about it over on his side of the ballroom. Absolutely fucking hilarious. That is some best friend shit right there and i i loved it so much even later when lady danbury kind of scolds him a little bit like you could have saved him earlier and then he goes well yeah but that wouldn't have been very much fun i was like you know what anthony you're you're fucking awesome man like keep it up this is this is great Uh, there's a real best friend energy here like I, i believe that these people are friends from college and this is how friends in these situations would act and i just loved it loved it loved it loved it so good I put in my notes, blah, 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 more more Simon lusting over Daphne. That's just what we're here for. He's like, oh, but he's my friend's sister, but she's really attractive, and I definitely wanted to kiss her, but I didn't, but she's got that swan-like neck, and holy fuck, am I in solitary confinement in horny jail? And the answer is yes, Simon, you are definitely. And so he's doing that. There's lots of like, oh, man, Daphne is so attractive, but he's my friend's sister. Fuck, what do I do? So that's all happening in his head. Well, that's happening, though. We learn a lot more. We The Featheringtons, I'm not upset that the show did this or changed it, and maybe the book's still lying to me. I'm only on chapter four. However, the Featheringtons... No husband already gone in the books. He died three years ago. Three years ago. So where's the, I am I'm a little bit sad that it doesn't look like we're getting the fucking degenerate gambling poison plot line. Uh, that's okay. I'm more than happy if the book is, is just more about Daphne and the Duke and less about the fucking random Featheringtons. But hey, it doesn't look like we're getting it. Also, there is a fourth Featherington. Felicity Featherington. Is that what I'm gathering from this? Did I read this wrong? I read it twice to make sure that I was paying attention to who was speaking there's penelope prudence and penelope prudence and philippa and they're there at the ball because they run up to the duke and penelope doesn't look great in that dress and you know philippa's good at the piano forte or whatever and um the the duke just doesn't care at all but miss featherington after mentioning that her husband died three years ago says and we have one at home called felicity but she's only 10 and I want to start the hashtag, bring back Felicity Featherington. What the fuck? If we are introducing one of these two characters into the show, why is it the loser husband? Why isn't it a 10-year-old Featherington? You know how much shit a 10-year-old Featherington t- could get up to? You know how much fun it would be for Hyacinth to have a... You have the Eloise and Pen and the Hyacinth and Felicity? What is going on here? What are we doing? This is the stuff I want. I want this Felicity Feathering stuff so bad. Oh, my goodness. Big loss for the show. No Felicity Featherington. And someone's going to email me like, you read that all wrong. This is not a lost Featherington or whatever. But hey, for right now, my understanding of it is that we lost a Featherington. And that sucks because the Featheringtons are hilarious. The Featheringtons come up and they're not overly impressive and the Duke isn't overly impressed, but he is nice enough to ask about Penelope. Uh, I don't know if he does that because he's trying to be nice or just just because he just wants to. He knows that Mama Featherington will be annoyed by him asking. However, when Lady Danbury comes up, Lady Danbury comes up, doesn't miss a beat, just starts dissing the Featheringtons. So good. So, so funny. Yeah, they suck, and the the youngest one, Penelope, it's a real shame they don't put her in a different color. And you just imagine this is the 1813 version of, like, an absolute roast, being like, 
you would look good in a different color. Be like, what did you say to me? And so I imagine that's how, that's the kind of diss we're going for here from uh, Lady uh, Danbury. And I just enjoy Lady Danbury pops in for a second. The plan is already ruined. Simon, you know, hasn't been able to get to her. She's like, hey, also, aside from the Featheringtons being dumb or whatever why haven't you said hi to me yet i'm your host what the fuck simon and he has to explain like okay i would have you you don't understand though these mamas are crazy and so this whole interaction was just i really enjoyed it the only bit of writing that really grated up against me in this chapter is i swear to god it's got to be at least 150 times we have to hear about how tall the bridgersons are julia quinn Julia Quinn, you can say it once, maybe twice as if, if it's from two different perspectives. Simon notices they're tall. Daphne says that her brothers are tall. That's fine. We get it. The Bridgertons are tall. We get it. I understand that they are tall people. The amount of times that it is said that the Bridgertons are tall or that Daphne has four brothers. This is more of a chapter three quip. That da Daphne says at least 27,000 times, I have four brothers, or I have three brothers, I have four, yeah, Gregory. I got four brothers, I've learned the fucking ways of the world, man. I've, I've I'm immune to your charms because I have four brothers. Hey, Simon, did you hear I have four brothers? And they're super tall. My super tall four brothers, is, I, I get it. I understand it all. They are tall people. They are not short people. <laughs> I, oh, it was so frustrating. I was like, I swear to God, if every character in this book has to let me know that they know the Bridgertons are tall, like it's, it's so good basketball hasn't been invented yet, okay? It is so good because this ch entire two chapters would have just been, hey, do you, do you play basketball? I was annoyed because people kept asking if my tall brothers, four of them, played basketball. Hey, how's the weather up there? Oh, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Too many times someone either asks or says that the Bridgerton brothers are tall. I understand. The best part of this chapter, though, was easily the A, B, and C trio of speech. This was written so good when they are talking to Simon, um, kind of about Daphne and about their mom and about how they're scared of her and all of the other things. You have all three brothers there, even when they're kind of questioning, hey, how is it you know Daphne? That's suspicious. Were you alone in the room together? Even when they're doing that, it's very funny. Anthony says something, then Benedict backs it up, and then Colin comes in with the punch at the end, and then Anthony says something, and Benedict backs it up and Colin comes in with the punch at the end these are three siblings who I believe are genuinely close they're having a good time uh, they are they are just three peas in a pod I really love the way their speech was written the cadence of it and just that Simon is kind of outnumbered in this situation was really really good and it gave all three brothers a chance to shine and for us to really learn that these are brothers they like each other they are in each other's company we also learned that Colin has already traveled around the world now I don't know if this is a separate thing from the show where he kind of comes back in season two and leaves at the end of season one we'll see if he travels again in the books but i just noted it down either colin has already done his travels now or he's going to travel twice in the books or the show just made up that travel to greece that's all good i'm happy either way and so i just wanted to note it down that it was a thing that i noticed i thought it was super funny after they've after they've decided that they can't interrupt mama bridgerton because they'll just be yelled at the situation is this daphne is being paraded around by mama b to talk to all the eligible bachelors and she hates it and it's boring and the, it seems like this guy hates it too the one she's talking to 
and they all know they need to save her. They say it like four times, like, oh, we should really go save her. And the Duke's like, well, what the fuck? Why don't you go do it? And they're like, I, we, mom, man, mom is going to kill us. She's got a wooden spoon and she has not stopped smacking us with it. I do not want to head over there. That is not going to go well. And then Benedict's like, hey, bro, wait a second. Hold up. We are in the presence of a Duke. The, the only thing that can break mama bridgerton down is if you go over there and save daphne because she's not gonna say no to an eligible bachelor duke interrupting this conversation which hey makes perfect sense and then simon has to be like you know your mom uh, she has forbidden any of you or forbidden daphne from being in my presence because i'm a rake and then <laughs> i can't remember what exactly what they say but it's pretty much like well, that's too bad. Let's go save her anyway. And so then they drag the Duke over. And then the Duke has his monologue that's like, um, oh, no. Oh, my. Oh, I really don't want to. Do I have to? Oh, don't make me go hang out with Daphne, this super attractive person that I really am crushing on right now. Don't make me do that. So that whole thing was brilliant. The way the Bridgertons were written, very funny, very quippy, very on it. I believe that they're scared of Violet. In chapter one, Violet was like chucking that lady whistle down paper around. She was not messing around. So I can believe that they are scared of her. And I also liked Simon's like, oh, fuck. Like, I fine, fine. If you, if you insist that I go, if it's your idea to talk to your sister, I'll talk to your sister. But if it's my, I, I just want to be clear on the record. Let's write it down, signed, sealed, and delivered. I want the Bridgerton wax seal that it was your idea that I talked to Daphne because when this get when this goes farther than that, I just want to be on record that the inciting incident was Benedict's idea and not mine. I like that whole thing. Uh, I know I made about half of that up, but it's pretty much what was happening in his head, I'm sure. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, in order to complete the save, in order to kind of get out there and make sure that Daphne is occupied as the Featheringtons are coming over. So what I like about this is twofold. What I like about this setup is twofold. One is that it ends up saving Daphne. So it is the actual plan. But B, it's completely selfish. And this dynamic, I think, is fun for chapter four. If they were just like already falling in love, that's too quick, too soon. I'm only 90 pages in. There's like 400 pages. I want to slow burn it a little bit more than this. And so having... Simon only asked Daphne to dance when not not because she's talking to someone else and he's trying to save her but because the Featheringtons are like running over this time without Penelope which I thought was a fun touch by Julia Quinn just to be like yeah they ditched Penelope and they're gonna try again with just the two in their minds the two nice good Featheringtons you know what I mean and then Duke's like fuck 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 what do I do what do I do Daphne we are dancing if I am dancing with Daphne then I cannot talk to the Featheringtons. And that's a really good plan. And so I really liked this setup because it pushes Daphne and the Duke together in a way that is very, in a way that's not like, oh, they're just so in love. In a way that kind of combines the Bridgerton idea of him saving Daphne from the other guy with the idea that Simon is still pretty selfish and acting on his own self-interest and only asked Daphne to dance when it suits him and he doesn't want to be accosted by the Featherington. So this whole thing, very, very well done, very well written. I enjoyed it very much.
And that's it. That's all for chapters three and four. I had such a good time reading. I hope you're having a good time listening to this podcast. I I have to put a few episodes up before I know kind of what the numbers are, how long people are listening, what parts people enjoy the most. Please, please, please send me your emails to let me know how you're doing. Let me know on Facebook as well. Post it in the Facebook group, how you're doing with the book Deep Dive. I'm having a great time here. I enjoyed these two chapters very, very much. Uh, I I very much enjoyed the Daphne and the Duke interactions from, from chapter three. I really enjoyed the ABC kind of speech pattern and cadence in, in chapter four. We got some quips from Lady Danbury. We learned a little bit more about the Featheringtons. We kind of pushed the Duke and Daphne together in a way that I felt was pretty natural, if if still with a little bit of self-interest from Simon. And I feel like as clunky as the writing got in chapter three a little bit, we are perfectly set up to kind of move into the next phase of the story where Daphne and the Duke are now acquainted. They have they are officially acquainted. They're dancing. I'm sure they're gonna be, you know, they did the the knuck the kid kiss on the knuckles of the gloved hand or whatever i'm sure they are going to be you know just in the bed in the next couple of chapters i I don't think it's going to take that long for us to get to married simon and daphne and i'm excited for it that's what i'm here for i I was actually quite happy that these chapters just dove straight into the deep end of horny jail i'm not reading bridgerton to not be in horny jail i read a lot of books a lot of them are not bridgerton uh if if i'm reading a world famous romance novel i want to be romanced That is what I want, and that is what I'm here for. I think that's it. That's all. Make sure to uh, review the podcast, subscribe to it, wherever it is you're listening. That would be very, very helpful. Check out the Twitter and Facebook group if you want to kind of hang out with some cool people on the internet and talk about Bridgerton or any of the other things we do at Let's Dive Deep. Uh, Make sure to go and check out the Patreon if you are keen on that as well. Get some early access to some episodes. Maybe that's a cool idea that you're interested in. I can't wait to be back. And uh, I think we're doing these just under two weeks now, just around every 10 to 14 days. I think it'll be a good cadence. I can't wait to be back for chapters five and six shortly. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next one.